This is an Area Code podcast. Hey, everybody. Your host, Richard Clark here. Before we start the show, I wanted to ask one favor. If you are liking this show, if you're enjoying it, I would love it if you could just tell somebody. Think of one person and just tell that person or tweet about it, uh, put up a post, uh, whatever you would do to tell someone about something you're excited about. Do that for this show and that will help us to grow and improve the show over time. Thanks so much. The specialness of games is usually tied to that feeling that I'm sort of, here's a little thing that someone put here for me, you know, here's a little a little joke someone just played on me. Um, certainly the, the delights of Elden Ring are, are so often little pranks that the developers will pull on you. And it's that, that spark, that feeling you get that someone just, you know, they, they left a little note under your seat and you sat down and you're like, what am I sitting on? And then you look and there's a little note and it says a little funny thing and you're like, ha, look, someone thought of me. They left this little thing here for me. You know, it's, it's that kind of feeling. So that's a type of collaboration. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Clark, and you're listening to Video Game Feelings, a podcast about the way video games make us feel and the people who make and play them. Today on the show, Kirk Hamilton, one third of Maximum Fun's video game podcast, Triple Click, and the host and producer of the music podcast, Strong Songs. Kirk, you probably know him as a fun-loving, positive presence. Somebody whose personality seems perfectly aligned with the inherent qualities of video games. Even his music podcast, Strong Songs, puts feelings of delight and discovery at the forefront. Every single episode, he's getting genuinely excited about some musical feat he's discovered and somebody else's work. Look, let's just say I see this as an appreciated contrast to what my own brain can do at times with similar subject matter. It can be easy for me to get a little in my head about whether something like this podcast I'm doing right now is really useful at all. Video games aren't exactly the most important thing in the world, and we're in a time when society itself is being pushed to its limit and everything seems urgent and important. And I just ask myself a lot, like, what's the point of this? This is a personal struggle that fans of video games have faced for years now, to be honest. At least I have. I remember when I was a young adult, like starting to mature into a grown adult, fighting to justify my hobby to those around me. Whenever some public speaker or lawmaker would use video games as an easy scapegoat or a waste of time, I'd write some unhinged, hyper-defensive Facebook post explaining that actually, video games can teach us empathy and create social connections. But over time, I've grown less interested in defending games and, and more interested in appreciating them for what they are, and in particular, for their primary purpose, to be fun. For me, it can be easy to go down a rabbit hole of appreciating games for fairly pretentious reasons, instead of actually allowing them to just be fun. And that's really why I wanted to talk to Kirk Hamilton, who I've been following for some time and who I always think of as someone who takes video games and their primary purpose of being fun at face value. 
Well, I've been playing Elden Ring mostly, um, and it's been making me feel a lot of very intense things. So that game has really inspired a lot of feelings in me, and I think in a lot of people, it's one of the reasons that it's so successful. Yeah. But it's it's been making me feel overwhelmed, certainly, mm-hmm. um, just because it's so big. Uh, there's so much in it. I've played more than 100 hours. I've finished the whole thing and then uh, and even started a new game plus. Um, it's been making me feel very enticed. I think that it's a very enticing game because it's so mysterious. And so I feel drawn in at all times because I've been having so much fun figuring out the mystery that is this game on multiple levels, both yeah. the sort of mechanical mysteries or just, that's not even a mystery, just sort of discovering all the different ways you can play it. I changed my build, so now I have this sort of, you know, I was a big shield faith using big sword using character through the first time but now i just have katanas and i'm sort of flying around i don't even have a shield and playing it more like bloodborne and so that is a journey of discovery of like well you can play this game in this much more aggressive uh way but then also learning the story and, and the mystery of that game's story and world has been uh, very enticing and then there's also a feeling that i had when i finished it which is the sort of emptiness and and idle energy of, of having finished a game, which basically compelled me to keep playing it. Um, I thought I was done. You know, I there's a point in this game you you play. Who knows how many hours <laughs> you play? Yeah. Dozens and dozens of hours. You do the thing it tells you to do, and then it says to you, "Okay, cool. So you're about halfway done." <laughs> There's a whole bunch more things that you're going to have to do, which is a thing that happens in all of these from software games. But I kind of wasn't expecting it in this one just because it's so big already. So then I'm going through the second half of the game, this whole the mountaintops of the giants and all of these cool areas that you go to. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I was starting to feel like, okay, like my partner, Emily, I haven't really seen her in a little while because <laughs> I've just been in here every night playing this game. I'm feeling a little <laughs> bit like... Just sort of, okay, okay, this is so good, and I like this, and I want to finish, but I'm also kind of ready to be done with it. And then it ended, and I beat the final boss, and I wound up with this weird feeling. It's not totally unfamiliar, but I haven't felt it this strongly with the game in a long time, where I just, I'd become so habituated to the yeah. to the act of playing Elden Ring. It was, I mean, I played more than 100 hours of this game in just two, and three weeks or something. Like, I was playing so much, and it was so engrossing, and suddenly I was done, or I, I was I could be done. I could give myself permission yeah. to be done. And I was like, I'm I'm just kinda not done. And since this game lets you just start a new <laughs> game plus and your character is so powerful even in New Game Plus, I'm kind of rolling through everything and just putting the story together and seeing stuff I missed. And it's been it's been nice in that way. Uh, it's like the after party, the morning after a wedding, where everyone's still kind of there and you do the brunch. And it's kind of over and some people are heading to the airport, but you still have all this energy from this wonderful, you know, event that you had the night Mm -hmm. before. It's that Mm -hmm. kind of feeling where I'm like, this is over. I've beaten it. I've seen this before. It's not like presenting me anything new. It's not drawing me along in that same way, but I'm not ready to be done with it. And I'm enjoying this just sort of afterglow of, of having finished the game. Yeah, it does seem like like this game in particular is so substantial and big that the come down from it would would take a while like it would it, it would be quite the tra- <laughs> like a literal life transition yeah to and you move on y- you put so much of yourself into the game as well because 
you know, it isn't a hundred, it isn't a Red Dead Redemption 2, for example, which is mm-hmm. just a big, long story. And that game, too, it's so long. I mean, it's by the end of that game, I also kind of just felt sort of wrung out just because, man, it's a real saga by the end. Yeah. But it's different when it's a lot of cutscenes, a lot of acting, a lot of stories. It feels like watching, you know, a full run of a maybe four season TV show. Elden Ring, it's so much more involved because you have to fill in so many blanks so much of it is what you do yourself that when you're done it's like even more involving because of that and so having it end is is even more kind of it leaves an even bigger hole I'm trying to, I don't remember which interview this was but I was talking to someone and we were talking about the nature of like games as investment and how that actually I think Mm. it was Sarah I think it was talking to Sarah and Mm -hmm. um, we were talking about how the, the, the nature of the investment in games that you have makes it maybe more impactful than than perhaps other mediums and this is one where you're talking about like you're sort of articulating this a little bit where you're really this creating your own story this emergent gameplay thing where you're creating your own story as you're going like results in an emotional connection that is kind of maybe unprecedented i mean i think it exists in other media it's so it's funny because it's partly you know, that you make your own story in the game, like a sort of emergent game design thing. But so much of it is what happens in my head outside of the game, right? It's just mm-hmm. me sitting there thinking and being like, you know, well, M- Melina and Ronnie, like Ronnie's left eye, right eye is closed and Melina's left eye is closed. And then Ronnie has that spirit. So maybe they're connected. I see quite the sleuth, aren't we? Indeed, I am the witch, Ronnie. I stole a fragment of the Rune of Death and used it to forge the god-slaying black knives through fearsome right. I did it all, but... And I'm kind of just daydreaming about these character designs, and you know, and that's the stuff that I think really lives with you in a way um, that does make it feel kind of personal. And is I'd say the only similarity that I would draw in other media is, is... you know, fan communities and sort of the stories we tell amongst ourselves, like people who get together in Yellow Jackets forums to talk yeah. about theories for what's going to happen at the end of the series. Like when the show ends, you kind of miss that in a similar way of like, mm-hmm. well, now there's no more Yellow Jackets until season two. And I really am going to miss, you know, reading all these Reddit threads and talking with my friends about what was going to happen because it's participatory in the way that, that games are and most other media aren't. Right. Why? Why do you play video games that's a good question because <laughs> they're big, fun it's a big question because they're, because they're fun because they're fun i don't know if that's a throwaway answer or not but i'm running with it yes, because yeah. I, what i think of you as is a person who plays games for fun like i don't know what it is about your podcasts and your your writing that you've done in the past but like it, it feels like you were playing games in an unpretentious way in a mm. way that maybe other people aren't or at least i don't is that really the primary goal for you is like you're looking for something you fun. know it is i mean it's it's funny it was kind of a throwaway answer just because video games are very fun and mm-hmm. um i mean why does anyone play video games right generally it's because they're fun even though that is a, a huge word that can mean 
right. thousands of things to different that's people. Right. That's, yeah, it's, we're going to have an to answer, drill down right? at some point on that, on that concept. Right. You but, could write a whole book. I'm sure many people have written books about, yeah. about the nature of fun and what that even means. So it's actually kind of a meaningless thing to say, to be like, oh, this game is fun. <laughs> well, like, okay, but like Cyberpunk 2077 is very is fun in a different way from Genshin Impact and from, you know, civilization, whatever. I do. I think about this a lot because my professional relationship to games has changed pretty significantly a couple mm-hmm. of times in my life now. And I do try to self-reflect as often as possible, so I, I wind up thinking about that because I'm a I'm a writer, so I'm a bored navel gazer. Um, yeah. But I but I do yeah. think about that and the way that the way that I was playing games when I first started playing them as a kid, which was in the sort of early '90s, I suppose the late '80s, really the early '90s, and through most of the '90s, and then I stopped after I graduated from school, was like really serious about music for a while, and then got back into them in about 2007. So then I was just sort of playing for fun again as, as a, you know, release, as a thing to do. Then pretty quickly I, like, discovered, oh, I can kind of, kind of like writing about these and I'm maybe kind of good at it. Maybe I could get paid. Maybe this could turn into a thing. Mm-hmm. And then by 2011 I was an editor at Kotaku. So then that was a big shift. I started playing games differently because you just have to if you're a full-time editor at a game site. So then through 2018 I was an editor at Kotaku and I, I think I still had the fundamental relationship that I always had. Like, I think we don't really change our relationships to art from how we experience them when we're young, or at least I shouldn't say we. I don't think that I've really changed my relationship. Like, my relationship to music is pretty much the same as it was when I was a little kid figuring Mm. out stuff on the piano, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. my other probably most profound um, artistic relationship is is with music. So games aren't really that different. But while working at Kotaku, you have to go deeper. You have to play a little bit more with an eye toward content creation, you know, that's it's a muscle you kind of train or I kind of trained um, of like, okay, well, I'm playing this game. Whenever something cool happens, maybe I could turn this into a post. And it's uh, something I really developed, you know, is that skill because you kind of have to because it's your yep. job to turn this experience that you're having into something that some company can monetize. Um, <laughs> it sounds really bleak when I put it that way, but it was pretty fun for, for the, it's most of it. Yeah. Um, but it's true. And so then... I left Kotaku in, in, I guess, 2018, and now my relationship is is different again, and it's kind of back to how it was in 07, and it's actually kind of back to how it was when I was a kid, because I make triple click, but that can be whatever we want it to be. There's nobody yeah. telling me, well, you have to play the new release, you have to have a take. Like, I really just don't have to. Like, even if mm-hmm. we had planned to do an episode on a new game and I just was like, guys, I don't have time to play it, I'm too busy, it'd be fine. Like, we'd figure something out. That's not yeah. the point of the show. So now I have this, I would say, wonderful relationship with games, or it's at least the the most I've enjoyed it, because I can just play for fun. And so I guess, yes, I, that's a very long biographical answer to to that question. But yeah, I suppose I do just really just play games for fun. And, you know, it's <laughs> part of that, I suppose, is that I find analyzing games fun also. Like I like talking about them. So I like to play them and to think about them, to think about what I'll say to Maddie and Jason about them or what I'll say to someone like you about like, you know, when I talk to smart people about video games, that's a big part of the fun for me. So yeah. there is still yeah. some analysis there. Yeah. The analytical thing is, is, I don't know if chicken or the egg a little bit, but it felt to me like like there was a period where I was writing about video games and it felt like once I stopped, I did I was a little lost. I didn't know if I wanted to play video games anymore because I mm-hmm. like what's the point if you can't talk to people about them? Do you feel that sometimes? Yeah, I remember having this thought. I don't remember why exactly, but the thought of 
if you start trying to do this for a living and find any success, this is going to take over your life and fundamentally change your relationship with this thing that you like. (laughs) And then on the flip side, leaving it like you describe, I wondered if I'd have that feeling, um, Mm. that feeling of like, okay, well, I spend a lot of time playing video games and maybe I shouldn't do that. And I totally have those thoughts still. I mean, there's all this, these musical projects I'm working on that I haven't finished, you know, and it's like, there, there are times where I look and I'm like, well, I was working on that one song and then I didn't finish it. And then I played 120 hours of Elden Ring and like (laughs) maybe 10 of those hours could have been spent finishing that song. And that's not actually how it works. Like the ins and outs of my brain. It's not like this amount of time and you can allocate it to whatever. It's like it needs to be different things. And <laughs> I find right. games nourishing in a certain way, though also sometimes I play them sort of compulsively because they're often very, you know, they're good at getting their hooks into you. Uh-huh. But uh, but yeah, anyways, I, I I did have that that thought, though. I I think having a podcast like we, I was always doing something like I've never just stopped having any forum for talking about games or any platform. Yeah. So as long as that's there, there's always just sort of a reason in addition to just, I want to get to the next level or, or see how the story ends. Yeah. I, I went a long time without doing anything with games. And what I found was that impulse for me was more about sharing it with other people than mm. it was. So when I had those opportunities and especially like my son is, is, is six and is about to turn seven. Mm, so he's okay. in that age now he's like yeah. playing Minecraft on the iPad and stuff. He's at that age. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really fun age to like play guardians of the galaxy in front of him and we get to talk about it and enjoy sure. it together and stuff like, and even Elden ring. I mean, he's watching me play Elden ring and, um, is weirded out by it and it's and that's pretty fun that's too, so funny you know? i could see that he would have a kind of interesting take on it because it works on such an elemental level what does he make of the the world and the story like what does he think of the game generally with him he's very good at figuring things out like he's he's always solving puzzles for me as i'm playing mm-hmm. which is shocking to me but i've been bad at puzzles so he's just really smart <laughs> I think, that's, that, that makes way. sense there's a kind of a like that game specifically allows for a sort of child level intuiting like it there's a lot of intuiting what's going on just by looking at what you're seeing and you know you just read the world it's very plain spoken in a certain way yes um, because there's not a lot of text on the screen there's not a lot of complicated terminology it's just like well there's a big guy and you know he moves slow and swings his sword in this way right like there's a cave and there's a sort of fire in front of the cave so maybe the fire means something for the door to the cave you know and it's great stuff like um, so the, the the great ex- the best example of this is probably if you roll in poison it gets all over your clothes and I then you can that. wash that poison off with, with soap. soap. That yes. is something <laughs> like old gamers would never think of. We mm-hmm. would never think of that, but kids would n- naturally and think of that. It would mm-hmm. it would come to them. They would suggest it. We would never try it. We'd say no, that's not going to work. And then we'd read about it in a guide somewhere. And right. go, Oh, okay. I guess he was right. Yeah, that was very much my experience with that. It was a YouTube video, and I was like, you are kidding me, because I, I had the soap. Oh, no, actually, no, it wasn't. It was a friend who showed it to me, and then I, right after that, saw it in a video. So it was right. someone showing it to me. But that is, it's like the when you watch someone who doesn't play a lot of video games, which is a sort of, can sometimes, they can sometimes have a sort of childlike approach to it, because they don't play a lot of games, so they don't have all the context that people who've played a ton of games have. Like watching someone who has never really played Grand Theft Auto play mm-hmm. Grand Theft Auto 5 is so fascinating because mm. 
you actually, it gives me a good sense of the limitations that still exist on those games, even though they seem so open-ended. Because you can watch someone be like, well, why can't I go into this building or that <laughs> right. building or any of these buildings on this block? Like, oh, they're all fake. I thought I'd be able to go in the door. And I, of course, just blow right past them because I'm like, well, the game will let me know when I can go into a building because I already know. But it is kind of cool seeing that perspective. Yeah. I want to come back to this question of why you play games, though, and, and ask, is there something games is doing for you that isn't otherwise in your life? Is there is there is there a need it's feeling or an itch it's scratching that you find valuable? I think about this all the time. I don't have a super solid answer. I have some like sort of faint set answers, I guess, or sort of <laughs> I have a couple of different answers. One is that I appreciate the craft of video games and experiencing it mm-hmm. firsthand. Like the feeling of joy that I get when I experience something that I know was made to work the way that it did. You know, I, I go through some thing in a game and like I, I see something wonderful and I'm like having the feeling of just like, oh man, what I'm seeing right now is a bunch of creative people operating at the top of their game, delivering this cool thing. They must be so proud of this. Like I'm so excited <laughs> to be experiencing it. Like I get so much joy out of that. And just, just because I've learned a lot about video games yeah. over the last 15 years, that I find just very rewarding in a very similar way to listening to, you know, an amazing new album from a band I've never heard. There are just so many times where, because I am so familiar with what I'm listening to and hear so much of the album, I'll just be thinking like, oh my God, like I see exactly what they're doing and this is so great. And it just brings me, you know, it brings me a lot of joy. And so games bring me that a lot. So I would say that's part of why I play them. And I also find them soothing. I think it's just Mm. nice to... um, just get out of my own head. I think they're, they're sort of meditative isn't the right word because from what meditation I've done, that doesn't get you out of your head. <laughs> that actually puts me very in my head. I mean, yeah, eventually yeah, yeah. I guess I get kind of get out of it. It's about observing your head. But bit. right, it's more about being in my head and really being there where games are kind of the opposite actually. So it's mm-hmm. not meditative. It's almost anti-meditative where it, but it then winds up having sort of the same result. Maybe it's like you go all the way around the circle and you're back where you started. You're just facing backwards or something. But it, but the feeling of just sort of, I am just going to play this game. And because there's designed, you know, in this very like propulsive way that pulls you along, you sort of climb inside of them and they give you a bunch of paths forward and you move along those lines, right? And you just mm-hmm. move forward. And it's just a nice thing to do for yeah. a couple of hours. And I find that to just be kind of kind of recharges me a little bit it um you know it involves my brain but it doesn't require too much of me usually unless it's a very hard game but most Uh games don't and and i and i find that kind of uh rewarding i find that soothing in in a way this is helping me a little bit because you you talked about being a sort of navel gazy because you're a writer um that's that's (laughs) something i relate to quite a bit and um i mean my thing the way i would say it is i am a very self-conscious person in my head a lot. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think I really seek out things that are supposed to get me out of my head or get me out of my head. Um, and so pre COVID I was like really into improv. I was like doing improv, Mm. uh, multiple times a week and it was really Mm -hmm. fun. And in order to be good, you have to be out of your head. You can't Mm -hmm. be self-conscious doing improv or you're, you know, your favorite. Right. Um, You're dead in the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so video games like have, have that, like that flow thing 
really does get you out of your head. You have an outside perspective, at least for a little while, which mm-hmm. is nice, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I find the same thing. It's funny you mentioned improv, improv comedy, which I've done a little bit of, but not much. But of course, mm-hmm. I've done a lot of improvised music. Mm-hmm. And playing yes. jazz specifically is such an interesting similar. There's such an sim- interesting similarity uh-huh. with video games because... There are just all these structural similarities that I've always felt like, especially as someone who, for anyone who doesn't know my background, I was, a, you know, went to school for jazz and I'm a very serious jazz saxophonist and play these other instruments. So I really spent a lot of time really learning how to, how to do the thing. And there's this similarity in playing a video game and in playing specifically a jazz, say, over like a standard, you know, standard tune, because the song, the piece was created, it was composed, and it's a kind of constrained space that you then occupy as an instrumentalist and then you're improvising within the parameters of that space so a lot of people will be like oh jazz you know it's just making up whatever you want but it's not like there's all this structure to it and you're playing within predefined parameters and it's really similar to to a video game that gives you you know well here's the level here's the space that you're in here are the different constraints that are put on your character let's see what you can do and Mm -hmm. It kind of occupies your brain in the same way as well, especially once you become fluid and familiar, like you really learn the tune and you know the changes. You can just kind of relax and your brain does enter that sort of other other space, you know, where you're, it's just sort of like you're not in a time or place. You're not thinking about yourself. You're not stressing out over whatever it is that was on your mind. You're just kind of playing because here we go again. We're coming up to the bridge and I know what the bridge is and it's just going to feel this way and that way. And, oh, this will work. And then in jazz, especially because it's like, oh, and the drummer is doing something really interesting. And, oh, man, and you can kind of enter this like very spontaneous state of being. And video games do allow for that in a way that I think is really cool and lets more people kind of experience that feeling because it's a really wonderful human thing to to feel. I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I have it down on the list of topics, right? This idea <laughs> of, of music and even jazz as a, a, in relation to video games and how they connect. Um, and one of the things that strikes me is this collaborative nature, right? Like video mm-hmm. games is sort of like asynchronous collaborat- collaboration, at least single player. Right. You're like collaborating in a way with the developer to create something new. And it, and in a way, it's like a stopgap for those times when there aren't people around. And you do need to get out of your head. And mm-hmm. the only way to do that is to get into someone else's. And I guess like books and movies serve this purpose too, now that I'm thinking about it. But the sort of proactive back and forth thing really doesn't happen without without some interactive element. Right, and then games, of course, you said that this is we're restricting this to single player, but if you bring multiplayer games right. into the conversation, it really changes the dynamic because, man, I have, there's a group of friends that I used to play Destiny with back when I played Destiny. Um, speaking of things that I spent a lot of time doing that I'm now kind of dubious about some of the benefits of it. Um, <laughs> right. But I, I had a whole group of people, and that is actually one of the clearest benefits, was this nice group of guys that I that I played Destiny with, who now play all kinds of things. But one of the games that they got really into at the start of the pandemic was Minecraft. Mm. And I never really played multiplayer Minecraft. Like, I love single-player Minecraft. Man. I like building things. But they had a yeah. server, and they all, they had built this empire within it collaboratively and they've taken me on tours i mean i can go i'm a member of the server but i don't really do that much there and it was unbelievable i mean 
seeing the things that they had built, this fully functioning public transportation system, multiple amusement parks with like themed rides, <laughs> this huge multi-tiered escape room that one guy designed, in addition to just houses and buildings. And I, I mean, everything. One guy has like this giant, he's like built a religion to his son within Minecraft. So it's like <laughs> pictures of his son are like, you know, his, his one-year-old infant or whatever are like on the wall with like shrines built around them. Like they, they just, they went, <laughs> totally wild with the creativity and it was so collaborative i mean it's this all these different people's weird ideas coexisting in this way that just is not like anything i've seen outside of just a group of you know 10 year olds playing with legos together you yeah. know and yeah and it, it yeah. really kind of feels that same way it has that like childlike sense of collaboration and creativity that really we just don't get to do enough in our adult mm -hmm. lives and seeing people embracing that it made me happy in in the same way that that playing jazz with people makes me feel happy like i feel lucky to get to experience that with other yeah. people when i'm doing that too it's true that we don't get to do that enough there are a lot of ways in which we we lost some fundamental needs we lost the ability to meet those needs very easily and so we've created these these ways of doing that and that feels like one of them it does you know i if you play music with other people as an adult you spend all this time getting together and playing together and that's what you're doing is you're just collaboratively making stuff up and maybe you're writing songs maybe it's a rock band maybe you're improvising music whatever but you're like yeah. you're engaging in that kind of a really fun activity like a social group creativity that we just don't get to do very much outside of maybe occasionally at someone's job and it is true i think that there's a real need for that that we don't stop needing to do that when we get older, I mean, I, I suppose, again, I'm, I'm using we like I'm some academic or something, but I should say that I never stopped wanting to do that. And I was lucky, I think, to never stop having to do that just because I was a musician my whole life and, and still am. So I always had that. But I think I find that in games, too, and yeah. find that same value and agree that it's something that we've sort of, you know, as technology, I suppose, has changed our relationship to one another. We've also found ways to use technology to recreate some of those things. And yeah, I mean, that that Minecraft server is a great example of, of a really wonderful technology-enabled version of that kind of collaborative play. Do you think collaboration is like somehow a, a, a key to the, like the funness of video games, right? Like, is is that a, a key component? Yeah, I mean, I think if you, if you consider collaboration with the game's developer to be a type of collaboration when you're playing a single player game, yeah. then yeah. yes. Like I think that it's one way or another, you're interacting with another person, mm -hmm. even if you're, or a team of people, you know, in the case of most video games. Yeah. Um, and there's the, the specialness of games is usually, or often at least tied to that feeling that I'm sort of, here's a little thing that someone put here for me, you know, here's a little, a little joke someone just played on me. Um, certainly the, the delights of Elden Ring are, are so often little pranks that the developers will pull on you. Mm -hmm. And it's that, that spark, that feeling you get that someone just, you know, they, they left a little note under your seat and you sat down and you're like, what am I sitting on? And then you look and there's a little <laughs> note and it says a little funny thing. And you're like, ha, look, someone thought of me. They left this little yep. thing here for me. You know, it's, it's that kind of feeling. So that's a type of collaboration. And then of course, yeah, certainly in multiplayer games, I mean, that's what makes a lot of games like like MMOs, you know, games like Destiny, that's what gives them meaning. Because a lot of times those games in particular are really not meaningful mechanically. You know, they're they're mm -hmm. some of the grindiest, most Skinnerbox style games because they just you just need an excuse to get on a lot of times. 
And then the real meat of what you're doing is talking to your friends and, and working with your friends and having that collaborative experience, which gives it so much meaning that it can kind of support the fact that a lot of times those games are just like, do this thing again for the week because this is your weekly chore that you're just going to do repetitively right. over yeah. and over again. The, th this is all making me think back to that image you painted briefly of like you're working on a, a song or something mm -hmm. sure. and you're like, man, I could really be doing this more if I was playing less video games. And, and that to me brings to mind a tension between the mm. need to sort of contribute personally and, and it's a tension that comes up in all the scenarios we've talked about, I think, from improv to songwriting to all of that stuff. The need to contribute your own thing and then collaborate with other people. And it strikes me that maybe that is sort of where fun is won or lost a little bit, or, or especially in regards to like this concept of being self-focused, self-involved self-conscious. Mm -hmm. For me, I find that I really often agonize over like my contributions to the world, put the worst possible way in my legacy, you know, those sure. kinds of ideas. I think one of the things that I admire about your work in general is that it, it feels very uncaring about that stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it seems like here, we're going to have fun now and we're going to talk on the level about that stuff. I mean, do, is that something you have struggled with in the past? Do you think about those things at all? And have you had to make a conscious effort to move past them? I do think about them. I, I've, and I've definitely struggled with that. I think making strong songs, the music podcast that I mm -hmm. make has felt to me like the most solid thing. It's like the most solid example that I can provide to myself when I start saying like, what are you doing? That's really going to hold up, you know, like what's, the, what's right. what are you contributing to the world to put it your way? I can say, yes. well, I've almost made 100 episodes of this show that I know for a fact has like helped a lot of people enrich their relationship with music, which to me is yeah. like the most beautiful thing in the world. And mm -hmm. I, so I can be like, here, self, like, here's my, you know, exhibit A is like, you did this thing. And then also I can, you know, which is something I did when I was working at Kotaku too, be like, well, and you, whatever, explain this game in this way that someone wrote you an email and said, hey, that really helped me think of this thing. So I guess I, I have these kind of counter arguments that I make to myself, but it's never quite enough because it's just human to look and say, well, what did I do? You know, if I just drop dead tomorrow, yeah. what will I regret not having done? You know, and and yeah. will my life have mattered? Even though, of course, it of course it did, right? The the answer is that of course it did. There are all these, yeah. you know, even if you didn't do any of those things, you just had people in your life that you affected, that you helped, that you lived alongside. Your life ripples out in all of these ways you can't even see or, or conceive of. But yeah, I mean, I, I think about it all the time. I, it's funny that. You mentioned the um, the self, like the self-creation versus the collaborative creation and mm -hmm. how there's always a kind of a tension between the two. And, and you can do too much of one and that can leave kind of the other one feeling wanting. I've had this feeling both with games and with music. With music, I spend all this time making music on my own. I make this podcast which is totally a one-man thing, so I just make that by myself. Um, it's mostly, you know, I'll interview people or ask friends of mine for input, but it's not a lot of like, let's get a big group of people together and collaboratively come up with the way to explain this musical concept. It's very much like, 
me and what I think and like, yeah. what do I hear? And let me explain it to you. And then songwriting has been very similar. And most of the musical projects I've done have been, well, let me make a like recording of the music from Hollow Knight and it's going to be me playing, you know, 15 different instruments and I'll record the whole <laughs> thing myself so I can just do it on my own time and not worry about having to find studio space and hire people. And like, honestly, like, I get exhausted on that, especially lately. I've been thinking more and more about how much of my, it's just all me. And like, partly it's just that I, I'm sure like listening to it is fun, but it also can kind of come off like I'm just showing off or it's kind of self-indulgent because it's like this huh. guy, like just doing everything himself where the magic of music is, you know, collaborating with other people. Like the music that you really make that really is powerful is when it's yeah. you and a bunch of people and you're performing it with an audience too. Like that's such an essential part of it. It's just this like right. this energy exchange that happens in a live performance. It goes way beyond just like, you know, can one person play all the parts of this complex arrangement and then right. record them and layer them. So in games, it's kind of the same where it's really easy to just get sucked into kind of playing games by myself, you know, just every night playing whatever single player game. But I find that when I have appointments, you know, I, it's sort of similar to having a creative deadline. Like I have a, a group of friends that I play board games with every single week and we yeah. meet each week and it's just like Monday night, we get together, we play Gloomhaven. I mean, lately it's been Gloomhaven, but we play whatever. We play some tabletop game. And like that experience of collaboratively problem solving and working together is so enriching. And the main reason we do it is because we just set this date. And now I'm in a D&D group that meets once a month. And it's the same kind of thing. Like we're doing a D&D campaign, which is more almost like improv theater meets game design. You know, it's kind of got much more creativity because it's so open-ended. And again, yeah. it's like I'm only having this experience because we made the deadline. Like we're forcing ourselves to get together and actually right. like socialize, which apparently is necessary as we've gotten older. But I have gotten a lot of value out of having that. And just to flag, like it, it seems obvious, but I think we sometimes forget, especially if if we play video games. The important thing with some of these things is just the act of playing with other people. It's not so much, I love Gloomhaven, so we're gonna play that. Like it's not right. the, it's not the game itself that matters so much. I mean, mm -hmm. I played Settlers of Catan the other day with some friends. <laughs> we hadn't played, but like I'm a parent of two young kids, so we don't play board games. Period. Yeah, and we yeah. finally got the chance to stay up until past midnight and play Settlers <laughs> of Catan. It was unbelievable. It was the most fun I've had playing a, a game in a very. And it long was Settlers time. of Catan. <laughs> and it was Settlers. <laughs> Not the most exciting board game. To I be can fair, think of. it was it was Cities of Nights expansion. So oh, okay, that's that's, that's more fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but, I know, I know what you mean. It's it's the it's about the social experience just as yeah. much as it is about the game. I mean, I think there are people who play, you know, who will play Elden Ring for that reason. Like that right, game has been yeah. such a like communal discussion point. I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I know the tweets have been happening and on our Discord. Yep. I mean, everyone's talking about it and it's just fun. Like a big part of the fun is just talking with your friends and, you know, puzzling things out and asking them for help, you know, not looking up how to do something, but asking someone, you know, who's farther than you what to do. Like that social totally. part of it is a huge part of the appeal. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I will say, I want to go back to your, your comments about strong songs. Like, I, it's not a binary between, like, this is a collaborative thing and this is a not collaborative thing in some ways. Strong mm -hmm. songs, the way that you do that podcast, does feel like you're interacting with the musicians in a pretty pointed way. Like, I don't think you're coming across like you're trying to show off. It feels to me like you're trying to show them off, which I think is a very different Thing, I get what you're right? saying. That's a worthwhile distinction. You're right. And it is an interaction. It is a, a sort of, like I'm interacting with the music and that's the whole 
dynamic of right. the show is basically like a conversation between me and, you know, a Cars album from 1978. <laughs> and it's right. like that conversation is then also being shared with listeners. And I do think constantly about listeners. I mean, there is, so it's not right. It's not just me like monologuing into a microphone trying to sound smart. It's it's very consciously trying not, not to be that. It's just, sure. I can still, I think, have that feeling of, geez, I spend a lot of time in this studio, right? you yes. know, just playing stuff and practicing. And like, you know, especially with COVID, the last two years have really exacerbated the feeling of like, it would be super fun to just get together with a couple of singers and like bring in some songs and then just work up vocal harmonies together where we do that thing of like, oh, well, try singing here. Well, let's figure out, oh no, sing that thing. Let's try it. And then we sing it and then you listen back and you're like, that sounded pretty cool, but let's do this here. And you know, that that collaboration, that like back and forth feeling, Mm -hmm. it's just very different than the feeling of sitting you know, alone at the piano and being like, how how might this sound? How might this work? And I yeah. haven't had that, especially for the last year. So I think it's partly just on my mind more because yeah. um, it's been a lot harder to rehearse. It's been a lot harder to get people together. I think one of the reasons I brought that up was self-justification because the point of this podcast in a way is to do something. So I make podcasts for other people for a mm. living, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's my job. This The point of this podcast is to have something that's my own that I'm not like beholden to someone else with and that I can like do exactly the way I want to do. But I, of course I'm finding myself reliant on guests and like the, doing the collaboration now with guests. And I think it's an interesting exercise in like moving a little bit along that spectrum without going too far. Cause I definitely have had other podcast ideas that were solidly in like the, just me writing something and then Mm -hmm. like a very weird, like night veil type deal, you know, right, right. Which just never panned out because I got no energy around it. And it just makes me think it, it does make me wonder if the, if the hyper insular stuff, like, I'm sure the an- there's a enough, there's a way of there's something valuable about that stuff. It feels like there's got to be, but I'm having a hard time figuring out like how to get energy from that stuff these days. I'm talking as an introvert okay. right now, as someone who like really doesn't love hanging out with people all the time, especially like people I don't know all the time. But I do get fulfillment from doing these kinds of things right Mm -hmm. um no that makes sense like i I, like a podcast where you are kind of forcing yourself to track people down and have conversations with them that's a great idea just because (laughs) it's a it's a straightforward format and it also gives you an excuse to go have conversations with people you like that right you know i i find i think all the time about how you know my partner emily and i we talk i talk to her the most of anybody talk to my sister quite a bit, but I talked to Jason and Maddie, my two co-hosts at Triple Click, mm-hmm. probably as much as more than anybody else. And it's yeah. because we made a show where like every week we just have to get together and talk for an hour. And, you know, and that just that kind of adds up over time. So I totally understand, you know, giving yeah. your, wanting to give yourself, you know, a framework that you can have sort of enforced interactions with other people, especially given that you describe yourself as an introvert, though I do feel like COVID has kind of scrambled the whole idea like the introvert extrovert binary is already kind of nonsense like i say that as someone who is yes would i would identify as an extrovert in a lot of ways but then there are so many times where i'm like well i do not feel like an extrovert right now i want to stay home and and stare at the wall it was already a little bit 
wobbly. And then COVID happened, and who mm-hmm. even knows? Like, what does it mean to be an extrovert in the age of Zoom meetings? You know. <laughs> like, also, I thought I was an extrovert until I became a dad, and then I became an introvert. So I, sure, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't. Yeah, it might. It might just be shorthand for me saying right now I don't like people very much. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Know? No, I, I can. I can imagine that. That. That's also a, a, such a huge shift that it further throws that whole. Yeah. Thing, thing into that's the season question. when like going to movies by yourself becomes the thing you do when going you to movies by yourself rules i love going to movies by myself it's the I best still do that. which yeah. which is a whole wrench into this conversation by the way like a huge <laughs> wrench in the conversation we're having right now we we don't have time to go down it but i'm just then throw that out for people to think about because mm-hmm. i think it's an interesting thing i want to end the podcast with a question we always ask at the end and it is um centered around the feelings wheel. Are you right. are you familiar with the feelings wheel? This sounds familiar. Is this a sort of like how, helping kids find the language to describe how they feel kind of a thing? That's that's right. I didn't know it was only kids, but anyway. Well, I'm sure it helps all of us. People. Oh, yeah, the feelings I, I wheel. Oh, I'm do, looking at mainly, it mainly. Yeah. So the feelings wheel, obviously, like it it um it it shows sort of the layers of of what emotions can be, and they're you know they're the obvious. Um, bad right like on the bad, in the inside we have angry. the cast of inside out and then we start uh-huh. going further out and we have <laughs> you know exactly. s- smaller smaller members of the cast of that movie exactly it's, right so i have a wheel that i'm gonna spin it's it's filled with all 82 feelings and okay. whatever it lands on i want you to tell me a game that's made you feel that way okay great so it has landed on helpless helpless oh boy okay let's say destiny for this one because there are times where this is Destiny is an online game where you are at yep. the whims of the servers and of the decisions that Bungie makes regarding those <laughs> servers. And there That's are times true. where you just have to accept the fact that you're not going to be able to do the thing that you and your friends were trying to do. And sometimes mm. you maybe finally do it and it's a kind of fire victory <laughs> where you like ruin your whole night getting the thing done. But there have been so many times, there were so many times when I was playing that game where I would have the feeling of just this is not possible for me to do for reasons that are outside of my control because I like don't have the numbers for it and mm-hmm. we this encounter is designed in an unfair way and the servers are going to reset in 30 minutes and I just am increasingly up against this impossible situation and that feeling of helplessness of like frustrated helplessness I suppose is yeah. a, a very memorable one for me. Is that a feeling that's worth it? Like at the end of that night no. Is that what made you quit Destiny? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, partly, I suppose. It, with with No, it was more the treadmill nature of that game. The way that, sure. you know, you, you go through enough updates in a game like an, an MMO like Destiny and you see enough things be introduced for you to devote time to and then sunsetted and retired because they need to introduce new things to keep people playing. Yeah. And it really calls into question. You, you really just start to sort of look at yourself in the mirror and be like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, this is, mm-hmm. I'm completely operating at the whims of someone else. So I suppose in that way, it's like related to the to that that same feeling that made me stop. Um, but no, I mean, I think you can have plenty of fun in a game where th- some things are just impossible and you're not always able to like bend it to your will. Like that yeah. can be cool. But no, I mean, in the nights where I feel that way, I, I'm thinking of one thing in particular where I literally stayed up all night with two friends and it was seven in the morning and we finally finished the thing. And I remember being like, I don't feel good about myself. I didn't even get anything cool from finishing this. Like, I'm glad it's done, but I want to go to sleep and this whole day is going to be ruined and this was not worth it.
So what makes a video game worth it anyway? I think Kirk's tortured relationship with Destiny is pretty instructive here. Maybe the more focused we are on extrinsic rewards, the stuff we unlock and the achievements we acquire, the less satisfying our actual play is. Because ultimately, Destiny is fun because it is masterful at facilitating that connection. Video games are playgrounds. They're meant for flow, collaboration, or connection. At their best, video games and the fun they facilitate allows us the opportunity to get outside of our own heads, to delve into a creation made by somebody else entirely. And while we're allowed to take part in it, it's the rare exception when we can actually change it or contribute to it in a significant way. And for me, someone who's constantly obsessing over my own contribution to the world, this is a huge relief. When I'm exploring the world of Elden Ring, I'm fully invested in somebody else's vision. And every personal discovery I make is really just an opportunity to delight in the work of someone else. Find out more about Kirk Hamilton at KirkHamilton.com. His podcasts, Triple Click and Strong Songs, are absolute must-listens. Please go check them out. There's links in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. What is a game that's made you feel helpless? Tweet at us or send us a voice memo to me at Richard at AreaCodeNetwork.com and maybe it'll end up on the show. If you like this podcast, follow us on Twitter at VidGameFeelings. And of course, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Video Game Feelings is an Area Code production. You can find out more at areacodeaudio.com. It's produced, written, and hosted by me, Richard Clark. Associate producer is Ashley Whitehurst. Our theme music is by Bruce Holtman. This is an Area Code podcast.